Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Well, welcome back, everybody. It is good to be back after a couple of weeks off. Um, as always, Jim, I was thankful for an article that you floated my way recently because it touched on a topic that I had kind of been hoping to chat with you about for a while. But first, let me provide some context for our listeners. So the Pew Research Center recently found that as of the year 2021, 25% of 40-year-olds in the U.S. have never been married. And that's a significant increase from previous survey results. Now, Jim, I've read more than a handful of blogs that you've written about the declining popularity of the institution of marriage. Um, but would you want to talk a little bit more about that and kind of what's contributing to that decline? Yeah, I mean, it was stunning. I mean, it really was, particularly when you when you uh, know the history of that particular sociological survey. What I mean by that is that the 40 percent is a huge increase from when Pew measured it last. And when they last measured it was in 2010. So it's it's been a, a while. But in 2010, only 20 percent of 40 year olds had never married. So it's doubled. It's doubled in just that. 13, you know, 12, 13 year run. In 1980, you go all the way back, uh, it was just 6%. Just 6% of people in that age group were never married. So, you know, when you when you read something like that, you know, it goes from 6% never married to 20% never married to now 40% never married. It does feel like marriage is in a bit of a free fall. Well, it begs the question as to why. And, and you could simply conclude, and I think this is what many people would do anecdotally. They would just conclude, well, people are just foregoing marriage in order to live together. They're just they're just living together. That would be kind of the intuitive reason that you would give for them never being married, that they're just cohabitating with somebody. Um, and I think that's a part of it. Um, it, it. There's no doubt that living together outside of marriage has become a normalized mainstream thing. Uh, we don't even hardly raise an eyebrow about it in, anymore. And it's not hard to see why when you look at it from their perspective. You know, uh, uh, in fact, right now, I think more than 70 percent of those who marry have lived together before they got married. Seven out of every 10. Um, and I get it. I don't agree with it uh, biblically, but I get it. It seems like everything you got everything to win and nothing to lose by living together first. It's like you know, I don't mean to be crass about it. It's like taking a car for a test drive first. Who wants to buy a car they never sat behind the wheel of? It seems to make sense you'd want to live together for a season first just to see if, you know, you can live together for life. Um, if you didn't live together first, the thinking would go, then, you know, you find out during your very first week of marriage that you can't stand this person or stand living together. And then it just seems like not living together first is a recipe for divorce. And besides, the thinking goes, isn't it a natural kind of progression in the relationship? You date and then you live together and then you see whether marriage is for you step by step into increasing levels of commitment, or at least step by step into seeing whether there should be greater levels of commitment. And then there's all the practical, logistical stuff. 
uh, I need a roommate to share the rent. So why not who I'm dating or I'm moving to a new city for a new job and we don't want to break up. So why don't you just move with me? And it's too expensive to have two separate apartments. So let's just get one. And then there's just the raw expense of a wedding. Literally, this shows up in surveys as a big reason, too. Uh, one survey I read found that 73% of millennials and Gen Zers said that getting married is just too expensive. They just can't afford a wedding. Uh, and I get that, too, as a father of four and um, two daughters who got married within six months of each other. Uh, the, the average cost of a wedding right now is around $30,000. That's what the average person pays. Um, so that's the thinking behind living together before marriage or living together um, instead of marriage. But there, there's more to it than money uh, or even pragmatics or even just choosing to just live together. Because this is what I found interesting, which is why I preface this by saying the intuitive answer is that they're just living together. You know, that's what you would think kind of almost anecdotally. It's not. It's not. Only 22. I did some digging on this. Only 22%, knowing we were going to talk about this, of never married adults age 40 to 44 are living with somebody. Hmm. Almost 80% of the never marrieds are not cohabiting with somebody. Um, so while choosing living with someone versus marrying someone is contributing to the rise of the never marrieds, uh, it doesn't explain it for the majority of the never marrieds. So what would that larger reason be? Well, a growing number of people, and this would, I think this is the 30,000 foot kind of answer to the question, and we can drill down into various things, but they're just feeling that marriage is an outdated tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, younger generations don't feel like marriage is foundational to their lives. They didn't go seeking it. They didn't feel like they had to pursue it in, in earnest. And, you know, you wind up 40 and you're not married. It's like, well, big deal. I mean, I, that, that was never a driving factor for my life. It, it, they just don't view it the way older generations did. One survey found that 85% of those in younger generations just did not believe that marriage was necessary to have fulfilling and committed relationships or to have a fulfilling, a fulfilling and life. Uh, and in an increasingly secular world, that makes sense. Marriage historically has been, and well, should it have been, rooted in spiritual faith. And studies that uh, those who aren't married tend to be more liberal in their political views and less religious in their spiritual lives um, uh, would feed into that. Hmm. But having said all that, and this this may seem contradictory, I found it an interesting just to kind of get all the research stuff out there. 83% um, of all millennials and Gen Z plan on getting married. They have this view where they're not, they're not getting they're not getting married. They don't feel like they need to get married. They feel it's outdated. But then they say, well, do you, do you feel like, you know, you plan on getting married someday? And they, most of them said, yeah, like more than eight out of every 10. Uh, only 17% said that they don't plan on getting married. And we'll put links to all of this research in the show notes. But the bottom line is that marriage itself is simply being devalued. Mm -hmm. You're, you're right. I do want to dig into that a little bit more. But since this podcast is about, you know, offering a Christian or, you know, perspective on terms of what's happening in culture, why don't we just take a moment to talk about the Christian perspective on marriage? You know, why we should get married, why we should honor it, um, and why we should view it more as just a so social construct or a social contract. Yeah, I think that's so important before we get into more about why the never marrieds and such. The Bible teaches that marriage is the first and most foundational of all institutions. It's, it's, it's hard to overstate that headline. It predates everything. I mean, go back in time with me. 
all the way back. The first thing the Bible says is we were made. And then the Bible throws out a second big idea right after saying that we were made. It says we weren't just made, we were made male and female. And why did he do that? Well, some will say procreation, but he could have had procreation any way he wanted to have procreation. Why did he do it this way? It's because he wanted and he designed this thing called marriage, which is why in the creation narrative, uh, we have this relational union described. I mean, I mean, serious ink is given to that. Uh, if you're writing a creation saga, it's, it's, it's quite significant. Uh, that a man leaves his father and mother, embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. And, you know, marriage was ordained by God, set apart by God, before children, before the family, before government, before the church, at the very onset of creation, because it's the most foundational institution for all that God created and designed. And of course, if we wanted to really chase it theologically, get into how it's a metaphor for our relationship with Christ and the church and the union in heaven, and you can chase marriage throughout, it's, it's a terribly significant idea. But it's what everything was meant to stand on culturally and socially. Everything in society revolves around this most basic social, relational, spiritual unit of human community. And because of that, it's the most important relationship that we have been given and one that is most important to protect and cherish and to steward. That's why the Bible says when people get married, uh, the idea is not a legal contract or a social construct, though the two have become one. The Greek word uh, for uh, in the Bible that we translate becoming one, Greek word kolomenos, which literally means glued together, you know, glued, not you, 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 could, you can't get it apart. Think super glue, you know, uh, because marriage needed to be that strong of a foundation. Uh, because everything else would be resting on it. It couldn't be seen as transitory. It couldn't be seen as superficial. It couldn't be seen as plastic. It couldn't be seen as weak. If everything rested on it, then it had to be the most solid and strong institution of all. Solid in terms of definition, solid in terms of commitment, uh, solid in terms of position and place, which is why the Bible teaches it, it is to be held in honor. You, you lose that view of marriage. You water down that vision of marriage, and you're going to see what we're seeing today which is people approach marriage with a take it or leave it mm -hmm. mentality. Now, an interesting common denominator that was detected by the survey was that college-educated 40-year-olds are more likely to marry than those without a four-year college degree. And when I first read that, I thought, okay, well, that makes sense because college is where people tend to meet their spouses. And if you're not going to college, then your pool is more limited. But I was curious, like, is that how you interpreted that finding too? No. <laughs> but but I don't I my, my response is not lengthy though uh, to that because I I um I I found that part of the research interesting. Um conventional wisdom has it that you go to college and there you meet your future spouse. Uh and if you don't by the time you graduate, you know, uh <laughs> you've missed the golden window of opportunity. Uh but I think I think there is more to it than that. Um uh, something that's kind of simple, quite frankly. We've talked about the money dynamic and Gen Z and millennials will talk about the money dynamic as being significant in their thinking, at least for the delay of marriage. And it's no secret that those who have college degrees tend to have higher incomes than those who do not. Uh, if money is a factor and whether or not to get married, it would make sense that you would have a higher percentage of never marrieds among those with lower incomes than those with higher incomes. Interesting. 
Now, another finding from the survey was that a higher share of men than women have never married. And I'll confess, that took me by surprise because I would have assumed that, you know, as modern women have become more career focused than ever before, that they would be the ones delaying marriage. So what do you think is behind men not getting married? Well, I'm going to say some things that I think only a man can say without because if if someone else said it, it would be considered sexist. Okay. So let me let me take let me take say some things about men. Um, that did not surprise me. First off, uh, with more women in the marketplace than ever, I mean, you're right. You would think that they would be more inclined than uh, in the past. Uh, might be, um, you know, or uh, less inclined. I'm sorry, in the past to get married or have children, things that might be seen as barriers to their career. But here's why it didn't surprise me. I find that women are more willing and able to commit than men. And I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but I also have worked with people a long time. Uh, and I also find that women uh, have often a better bandwidth for juggling things like marriage and a career than men. And they just are able to handle more. Uh, more and more men today, I find are commitment averse and they're sacrifice averse and on the whole are less spiritual in terms of their values. I'll go further where angels fear to tread. Uh, and, and, and again, last 5%, and that's the effect of pornography. It's profound. And while women view pornography, not at the percentages of men. And porn has been proven to do several things relevant to our conversation, such as changing our experience with sex, creating distance with sexual partners, both emotionally and physically. Those who watch porn often find themselves unable to be sexually aroused by their actual flesh and blood partner. But even more to the case, I mean, this is really coming out in, in survey after survey and many, many studies that uh, people are men are choosing pornography over real world relationships. They're not even dating. Uh, and they're not even, you know, I'm not trying to get into a Christian ethic on this. I'm just talking about culturally. They're not even seeking flesh and blood sexual partners. They're, they're, they're more comfortable with pornography. They're getting their sexual satisfaction from pornography. Um, and so you add, and so, you know, the, you know, marriage is, yeah. So you add up commitment averse, sacrifice averse, values deficient, pornography addicted. No wonder you have more men in the never married category than women. Hmm. I feel like I just want to give like a collective sigh on behalf of women out there. Well, well you should, you should. It, it's, 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 but I mean, I, I say when I, you know, I say at that front part in admiration of women, mm. but I've just seen it so many times. Uh, just, just the, that. Yeah. So. Sure. Well, I want to consider then the alternative that more and more, I guess the 30 somethings are choosing because they're opting out of a spousal relationship to be their primary social connection. And so I imagine that, then peer and familial relationships would become the more critical way of finding relational fulfillment. And yet, again, I've heard you talk before and I've read study after study that younger generations are plagued by a pandemic of loneliness. So I guess my question is, are 30-somethings trading marriage for friendship or are they just walking away from relational connectivity kind of altogether? That's a terrific question. And first, you're absolutely right about loneliness. Um, I wrote about this in my book, Hybrid Church, um, 
And as you may remember, we also dealt with it, or I talked about it in a recent message at Mech as part of a series I taught, team taught with you uh, on uh, Jesus's inner circle, which consisted of Peter, James, and John. I wish we'd had time to pursue Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but it would have been a different tack. But, yeah. um, but as we looked at the three key events where Jesus pulled those three men together for them to be a foursome and how we just kind of went into his inner circle mm -hmm. stuff. And, um, and of course, people will know that's the raising of the dead girl and the transfiguration and then the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a good series, but it brought to light how, and, and this was kind of my job in the series, but to get into how um, one of the dynamics of exploring the inner circle of Jesus is how many of us don't have an inner circle at all. And we're marked by this. But back to loneliness. Um, the global insurer, Cigna, and this is a, something I actually talked about in the series, um, polled 20,000 Americans ages 18 and over, and they, 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 they did it using the UCLA loneliness scale. And if people aren't familiar with that, that's a 20 question, uh, uh, 20 item questionnaire designed to gauge loneliness. And the way they do it is they give you 20 statements and each one of these statements is kind of a loneliness statement, you know, and you, and the number that you affirm will determine your score. So uh, your score can range from 20 on the low end to 80 on the high end depending on how many statements you affirm. And the more you affirm, the higher your score. So there are statements like, there is no one I can turn to, or I have nobody to talk to. Um, one that stood out to me particularly was people are around me, but not with me. Um, so the more you answer, yes, I often feel that way, or yes, I sometimes do feel that way, your score goes up. So a score in the 20s shows that you know, you're not particularly lonely. You've got a fair number of good relationships in your life and you wouldn't affirm many of those statements. You consistently answered that you never or rarely feel what those statements describe. Score in the 30s shows that you answered more than a few with at least sometimes feeling that way. And the national average, this is what stunned me, was not in the 20s. It wasn't even in the 30s. The national, the national average was 44. That was the score. I mean, we're lonely. And social media is not helping. We all know that you can have a thousand friends on Facebook and have no one to call with a flat tire or when you have need, which may be one of the reasons why Generation Z, uh, the youngest generation surveyed by Cigna using the UCLA loneliness scale, was the loneliest of all. Their average was not 44. Their average was almost 50 in terms of their score. Right now, three out of every 10 millennials say they are always or often lonely. One out of every five said they have no friends at all. One out of every five. So to your question, everything seems to point to them walking away or drifting away from relationships altogether, not swapping friendships or peers or family for marriage. And let's be clear, this is not the result of smartphones and social media, Facebook or TikTok. It, and I, I go back to something. Um, there is a book called Bowling Alone mm. written by Robert Putnam. It was a it was a fairly talked about book when it came out and fairly significant. Uh, and it was all about the loss of social capital in the world. And as the title suggests, we once bowled in leagues and now we bowl alone in our culture. Now, the book came out in 2000, long before the time when the Internet became the wallpaper of our life. Even then, he and other observers were seeing the signs of our culture becoming increasingly disconnected from family and friends and neighbors and other social structures. So when people just jump on social media or all things digital, this was happening 
before. Um, in fact, he notes that as the 19th century turned into the 20th century, social capital was also at a low point. It was, in fact, maybe lower than it is now, or certainly very, very low. And that was due to urbanization and industrialization and widespread immigration. And Americans just were uprooted from friends and social institutions and families. Uh, we have more powerful forces than that now coursing through our cultural veins, tearing away at the fabric of our relational world as um, COVID made only too clear. But this has been building for a while. Well, I'm thinking about the implications of this with regards to the church, with you know the everyday life of the people who walk into your doors, especially if you're in ministry. Like if you're if you're giving a sermon or teaching a class on marriage, you have to realize that a large percentage of the people in your congregation or your class, they can't relate. And I, I think, you know, you also can't assume that the parents of the children in your kids program or your student programs, you know, that have two involved parents entrusted, you know, with their with the care of those children or students. The people who attend a premarital class you might offer, you know, might not be in their 20s. They might be in their 40s. So, you know, what other ways does this reality impact the way that a church can minister to those in their care? You're so right to bring up the new realities of our day and the sensitivities we must have. And I love I love the examples that you gave. They were really they're really spot on. You raised some very good ones. So let me just affirm that, but throw out maybe a few more. Um, first, we 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 need to get a good theology of singleness that goes along with our theology of marriage. I think you know we probably heard a thousand sermons on marriage and, and we have a theology of marriage, but I don't think we often have a theology of singleness. Um, but in, and I read an article recently and I, I love the title of it. And it was sad that it was needed, but it was titled singleness is not a sin. Mm. <laughs> and, it, and again, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but uh, the answer is of course it's not, it's not a sin. In fact, the apostle Paul, as we kind of build a little short, Pricey of what a theology of singleness would be. We need to remember that the Apostle Paul wrote that he wished everyone could remain unmarried like he was so that he could de they devote themselves fully uh, without distraction to the cause of Christ. And that was in you know, 1 Corinthians. Um, so it's not a sin. Paul wasn't married. Jesus was not married. Uh, many heroes of the faith were never married. Uh, two of mine, two of my biggest heroes of the faith, influential in my life, were never married. John Stott, Corey Tinboom, neither one married. And nowhere does the Bible universally affirm or command, I should say, it doesn't ever universally command marriage for everyone. But this is important. And, and as we build, you know, if you're going to talk about a theology of singleness, um, I think we need to be careful as we talk about this. Paul's admonitions about better to be single, as well as the historical debate about whether monasticism is superior to marriage, which was the basis for, say, for example, Roman Catholic priests being celibate. Um, and that's often based on Paul's admonition mm -hmm. that he wished more were like him. It's very important to note that that's different than modern day singleness. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't about being unmarried in general, but being unmarried for the sake of the gospel. Right. Paul encourages singleness for complete commitment to the mission. He also says that if you face sexual temptation, particularly for those who desire marriage and children, he says, get married, get married. And in fact, he says, quickly, <laughs> sooner than later. Uh, so there's a theology there that I think we can we can can should set in place about 
what Paul was teaching and valuing that and also valuing marriage and, and, and just making sure that we're kind of clear on all that. But, but in all of it, my goodness, let's not demean singleness. There can be a quiet shaming of, I think, particularly single women, but I see it with, with single men too, but a shaming as if something is wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the truth is they might be quite content in their singleness or feel called to singleness or just have found someone that they never have found anyone that they want to marry. Um, I have uh, I know people who are um, uh, in the LGBTQ community who have come to Christ, who have chosen to be celibate and remain single as a result of that. And that's a noble thing. Uh, for goodness sakes, though, if getting married hastily can be tragic. Let's applaud those who aren't married because of a lack of suitable Christian partners or who, ha- who have a, a good, healthy fear of divorce and are selective. Uh, so that's 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 what I would say first. We need to get a good theology of singleness. Second, we need to speak to and see singles and perhaps particularly speak to and see single parents. Um, now, what some interpret that to mean, like if a church really is going to see, you know, cater to serve singles. It means we're going to have a whole bunch of singles events so we can quickly get them married. You know, almost I've heard people say we just create a a Christian meat market and where they can all meet each other. And that may be what some singles want from a church, but the deeper need is to speak to um, their value and to speak to their needs and and their challenges. I'll never forget um, first time I, I did this and and the, the response that I got, um, I was doing a series on marriage and family. Now I do it routinely, but I did a series on marriage and family and I devoted an entire message to those people who were single parents. And uh, particularly through the lens of the most famous single parent in biblical history. And if some, are, if some people are saying, whoa, 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 okay, who is the most famous single parent in biblical history? <laughs> well, uh, Mary, Mary. Uh, they forget about that dynamic of her life or how that played out. In all four accounts of Jesus' adult life, there's not a word mentioned of Joseph. Uh, when Jesus returned home, when he interacts with Mary, no Joseph. Uh, and on the cross before his death, John uh, he asked John to watch over Mary, which uh, insinuates that Joseph was dead. Uh, and as the eldest son, Jesus had carried that responsibility to that point and now asked another to watch over his mother. Uh, Mary was a widow. Uh, and regardless of exactly when Joseph died, his death explains why Jesus didn't begin his public ministry until his 30s. He was providing for the family. He was carrying on as a carpenter or uh, construction worker, uh, as taught by his father. Uh, he assumed the role of caregiver until his brothers were old enough to assume primary care for their mother and the other siblings and freed him up for his vocational ministry. Uh, you know, And from that, I remember I, I talked to those who were single parent moms because the typical single parent is a mother. Um, I asked them if they thought about the fact that Jesus was raised by a single parent mom. And then I told them, you know what that makes me think? It makes me think that maybe God has a special place in his heart for those who are thrust into that role. It makes me think that all of your efforts, when it feels like you're fighting an uphill battle, uh, wondering if you'll be able to pull off this single parent thing, uh, they may turn out okay. Jesus did. Uh, and then I talked to those who were single parents because, you know, this was running through my head who who felt that, well, God can't possibly have tenderness toward me and my situation because I'm a single parent through the trauma of divorce or an out of wedlock birth. 
somehow, yes, I'm a single parent, but I'm on God's bad side for being a single parent. So I can't ever be part of Mary's group and never will be. They think there's some kind of scarlet letter on their chest that results in God caring about single parents who are widows, but not divorcees or those who made a sexual mistake. Um, well, I didn't make light of divorce or sex outside of marriage because, no, that's not God's perfect will for anyone's life. Uh, but to view either one as the unpardonable sin that brings about the wrath and scorn and rejection of God, the rest of their life is simply wrong and, and simply not true. Or that somehow it makes God's heart shrink toward you as a single parent and the struggles that you uh, face. Uh, all to say, every time I teach on the importance of fathers, for example, to the family, I always try and tack on a special message to the many single parent moms who may feel an extra dose of discouragement and defeat and guilt and shame and helplessness and fear. Uh, so have a good theology of singleness. Speak to singles and see singles and particularly single parent moms. And when you're talking about things like marriage and family and you know, remember, you've got these precious souls there um, listening, struggling and you're sitting there trying to cast a vision for marriage and family and homes and dads and men, and they're just dying in a pile. So speak to them. Don't, 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 don't forget them. Um, and then finally, I would say on top of the sensitivities that you already mentioned and that I brought up, we just, as a church, we just have to take the building of community seriously and assimilating people and connecting people and, and creating spans of care and support uh, for people. And to make sure that we're not doing it for just one demographic subset of people in our church, but we're doing it for everyone. And that includes singles and maybe singles most of all. Mm, that's good. Oh, well, like I said, it's good to be back. These are conversations have been missed the last couple of weeks. So thank you, Jim, for taking in the sound this week. And for those of you who are listening, make sure you join us again next week and find out what we're going to talk about next.